You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It's Sunday, the 28th of August, <coughs> Bank Holiday 2022. The time now is coming up to 10 or 6. <coughs> we can well share with Asan Ahmadi, listening to Voice of Islam on Dab Radio, mobile and online. 24 hours a day, broadcasting live from the Beth of Fatu Mosque in Morden. The Weekend World Show is a current affairs show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and topics of faith and enlightenment, the message of Islam for the West. Join us and share your views by phoning 0208-687-7878 or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. To start off the show, I'm going to quote from Ban Ki-moon, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, who said, Serving our planet, lifting people out of poverty, advancing economic growth, these are one and the same fight. In his message to the ministerial conference held in June this year, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, expands those views further to the realms of the Creator and says, True freedom and lasting peace in the world is not possible until mankind comes to recognize his Creator. And in his address at the Jalsa Salana, the annual convention of Germany last week, His Holiness said, They do not possess the solutions of establishing lasting peace, and in truth, how could they, considering that their attention is not turning towards the fountain of peace, the Holy Prophet, that is, peace be upon him. They are engulfed by the world and have disregarded faith. The world today is in crisis. War drums have been beating in Europe for decades and other countries, much of it at the beat of the United States and Russia. Poverty in Africa, South America, Asia and most developing parts of the world is worsening. Pakistan is devastated by some of the worst floods causing immense destruction with very little coverage in the Western media. The world is in crisis. The rich Western lifestyles are now also under threat, with many struggling to survive the reliance on food, on uh, food banks, and uh, and is, uh, sorry, surviving and reliance on food banks is increasingly uh, is increasing on a daily basis. Something we thought only happened in Africa. Our prayers and thoughts for those struggling and whose lives are a daily struggle. On that somber thought, uh, on the show this morning, I'll be joined hopefully by Philip Gant in a few minutes uh, to hear his take on some of the top stories of the week, uh, followed by Dr. Fareed to discuss the similarities of the two messiahs, that is Jesus Christ and Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, peace be upon them both. Following that, at 11 o'clock, I'll be joined by Azhar, who will be joining me to discuss the plight of the world amidst the water crisis and and how to tackle that crisis. 
Also on the show, we'll be joined by the author who wrote Salma, uh, Rushdie, Haunted by Unholy Ghosts, Ashadamdi, who used the best weapon to defend Islam, the pen. He will talk more about the book and his motivation to write a response. Last but not least, we shall be joined by Shahid Khan, the ex-international England hockey star, with the sports review, a busy weekend of sports there was at that. that. Anyone eager to comment or share their views can do so by phoning 0208-687-7878. They can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam on DAB Radio, mobile, or live stream on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. The Weekend World Show with us and Amity. This is The Weekend World Show. The, new, the views on The Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. We're going to start our uh, schedule with the news review, um, and uh, hopefully we've got um, Dr. Fareed, I think, on the line possibly, but let's start uh, with the news review, first of all. Weekend World. Look at this week's news, views and reviews. Um, People on £45,000 could struggle with bills, says Chancellor The Guardian. People around earning around £45,000 a year, as well as those on benefits, could need government help to pay their energy bills this winter, the Chancellor says. Britain's energy industry regulator, Ofcom, on Friday confirmed an 80% rise in the consumer price, cap and from October and that will take a typical household gas of electricity bill from £1,900 to £3,500 a year, almost doubling. In an interview with the Daily Telegraph, Nadeem Zahavi said things would be really hard for middle earners as well as society's most vulnerable. Every household in England, Scotland and Wales is due to receive a £400 rebate on energy bills in coming months, while those on universal credit and other benefits will receive £650. The Guardian's view on the energy price type cap, the, uh, sorry, Zahavi said, my concern is that there are those who, be, uh, those who aren't on benefits. If you're a senior nurse or a senior teacher on £45,000 a year, you're having your energy bills go up by 80% and will probably rise even higher in the new year. It's really hard. Let's hear what uh, our uh, uh, Martin Lewis, the money expert, what does he think is happening? Millions of households will see a record 80% rise in their energy bills from October. We now know that. Ofgem, the energy regulator, have announced that the energy price cap is to increase from the current 1,971 to £3,549. Yeah. People getting in touch are rightly worried this morning. They have gone up by around 80%. I've put on Twitter what the actual new rates are, although it is regionally averaged. The figure that's quoted, the £3,549, is what the cap would be for someone who has typical usage. Of course, most people don't have typical usage, they're more or less. And that means there is no maximum amount that you can pay for gas and electricity. Just to reassure you, you Martin, paying... we have been saying that this morning. Here. 
Uh, that was uh, Martin Lewis uh, warning us that the rises are going to be very difficult to cope with, and he's very concerned. And this is what Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss, the next prime minister, one of them, will uh, have been saying. We're not making the situation worse, because if we just put fuel on the fire of this inflation spiral, all of us, all of you, are going to just end up with higher mortgage rates, savings and pensions that are eaten away, and misery for millions. I don't want that to happen, and that's why I am so focused on gripping inflation first. Under the current proposals, our corporation tax would go up to the same level as France and 10 points ahead of Ireland. And I really worry about our capacity to attract that investment into our economy if we do that. You simply can't tax your way to growth. And I'm afraid the very high taxes we have at the moment, a 70-year high are likely to lead to a recession. Okay. And that's what the Bank of England is predicting. Well, those are the opposing views of uh, the next Prime Minister, uh, the election for the Tory leadership. Um, let's speak to Dr. Fareed. Assalamu alaikum, Dr. Fareed. Hello. How are you? Yes, assalamu alaikum. How are you? Yes, I'm fine. Yes, Jazakallah for joining us uh, at an earlier time than we envisaged. But, uh, Dr. Fareed, uh, there are real concerns about, uh, particularly about the energy cost, but the cost of living is a crisis at the moment. Uh, and I think Britain is not faring better than others. Uh, in fact, it's probably faring worse than others. Um, what are your thoughts on these energy rises and what do you think um, is w- what's behind this? Why could we not put a cap on like France, have, for example, to 4%, whereas we are going to nearly 80%? I think, Arsen, you're, you're asking the wrong person. And I think no one, in, in, in the sense that even the politicians and all the experts, and you hear so much of uh, on, the, on the media, mm. the ministers talking, your ex, so-called experts talking, and no one knows the answer. And it, it just seems that it's just a, a mighty case of mismanagement over the years. Mm. And uh, like the lady who confronted the minister, which uh, who... Uh, said that the Conservatives have been in power for over 12 years and they basically sleepwalked into a disaster. Mm. Uh, it's uh, there's, uh, Even in Spain, for, ex- for example, I think we hear that uh, they're going to uh, reduce the, the, the bills. Uh, they'll be going to be free transport in from September onwards. Correct. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, the, the government's helping in any way possible. But uh, the crisis is up, upon us, and uh, no one see really needs uh, is giving us a definitive answer mm. as what they're going to do. Four hundred pounds they're offering to many households, but uh, that doesn't. Uh, That's a drop in the ocean compared to the rise. Yes, you know, you know, yes. nearly so two. It's to, yeah. Basically, things are out of control. The government, uh, we is an elected government. Government, uh, they should take charge and they should lead the way. Mm. Rather than uh, at the moment, what's happening? People are getting panicky. Rightly, yes. Uh, we're uh, they're very concerned, aren't they? Yes, concerned, and uh, mm. things need to happen now. Mm. Uh, things are getting desperate, uh, but no one <laughs> comes forward with a proper answer as to what they're just going to say. Oh, it's going to get worse, and. I think Boris Johnson uh, just wrote an article, was it in the Telegraph saying, or the Daily Mail saying... Uh, uh, Wish uh, you were here. <laughs> well... <laughs> because of the holidays he keeps having. We're going, to, we're going to bounce back. Yes. I mean, uh, before we bounce back, we're going to hit the ground really hard. <laughs> you know, are we going to survive that? 
Well, he's been in power. Well, he's been in power for over two years now, and uh, it's got, it's gotten worse. So why does why is he so confident he's gonna they're gonna bounce back? Is he just trying to rile up his support uh, yeah. of the Tory party? I presume, and uh, uh, he's been running away from the realities. He, 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 once he got sacked, he left a long gap, went on holidays. Yeah. Uh, more than anyone else can afford. Uh, he's not being the best role example, and are his words shallow words? Yes, I mean, interestingly, the thing was he's he's uh, he's still the leader, and in a crisis, it doesn't mean that uh, although you're going to relinquish your relinquish your leadership within a few weeks, when that going gets tough, you don't just uh, leave your post and say, well, you know, you deal with it. Mm. Uh, I think uh, it shows. Uh, a negative aspect to his character. I, uh, you know, a lot of people are disillusioned by that. They, even those who supported him, yeah. are saying at this moment in time he should actually have come back and said, "Look, I'll sort this out for you. I'll do as the best I can while I'm here." Yeah. But I think uh, he's just uh, betrayed uh, the trust which has been placed in him. At least to the extent he believed that he's the prime minister, he believed he was uh, uh, unfairly ousted. So if he mm. believes that, then he should say, show show his metal and say, look, you know, this is what I what I'm what I'm doing now for you, and mm. you know, you're going to regret it when I'm gone. You're going to regret it, but he's not doing anything. He's not even you know putting his head above the parapet. And we couldn't like, get him. Know. We couldn't get him off our tellies while while he was the leader. Yeah, and so. now uh, there's a crisis, and he's no longer going to be the leader. He suddenly disappeared, and uh, and suddenly comes out of the woodwork just to write this one little article. rest of the time he's holidaying. But what about the two leader contenders for the Tory party? Because they'll be the people taking the realms. Uh, neither have really come up with any plans. Rishi Shunak, he doesn't even have working class friends. Um, and Liz Truss, uh, we don't know. She keeps changing her mind all the time. Um, are, are, are they? Have they got anything in plan? No, no, none of them have really come up with any positive plans, have they? They say that they, they, they're working on it. Liz Truss certainly thinks she's working on something, but she hasn't given any substance, any flesh to the bones, has she? No, it's uh, it's such a difficult problem to deal with. Uh, like I've said, even the experts uh, don't really have mm. a, uh, have an answer. It's going. To, well, the answer is. You know, a hundred billion pounds. I think originally it was, you know, I think thirty, forty billion. Then it went up to fifty. Yeah. You really want to help out? It's uh, about a you know a hundred billion. Uh, the I think uh, Keith Starmer proposed a six month uh, freeze. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, the joke is going. The joke is that you know they want to freeze the the people rather than the prices. So. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, and yeah. and 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 we also got the situation. Uh, this trust is more than likely to to be looks like it as far as uh, the polls are concerned and what uh, the voices from the ground roots are that she's overwhelmingly going to win the leadership battle so she'll be the next prime minister so and she says she 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 doesn't want to deal with the uh, uh sturgeon in scotland and she thinks the jury's out on macron in france is she just yeah. going to be creating enemies and, and not uh, and, and not create partners i think it's just the the last chapter of this uh the conservative uh, uh, control over the last uh, 12 years. Mm -hmm. I think this is mm -hmm. it's a downhill uh, game now. Uh, 
Yeah. I think uh, they've lost it, and uh, she'll be struggling to maintain the uh, the part that uh, well, the, even the party is falling apart. You know, the whatever mm. the, the Brexit coalitions is all sc- scattered now. Yes, and uh, I think uh, unless she, it is a miracle, the Conservatives are not going to remain in power any longer. So I think any longer. So I think people are just. Uh, you know, looking for the end game. Yeah. Uh, she's coming up, you know, whoever becomes prime minister has uh, basically has uh, got a poison chalice to yeah. deal with. And and the working class people in particular are going to be suffering from this. And we've already seen a lot of the unions, the miners, the lawyers and, and all the other barristers planning yes, strikes, yes, the yes, post office yes. workers and possibly NHS even. So it doesn't look like a good lot for us uh, in the near future. I hope that our listeners will uh, will be able to cope with this with prayers and uh, the, our prayers are for everyone that may the land prosper back to prosperity. Uh, on the other side of the news this week was the story of Olivia Pratt-Corbel. Two men held over fatal shooting in Liverpool released on bail. Uh, this was from uh, the, um, the, the Telegraph, was it? Uh, no, um, from the BBC. Uh, two men held over fatal, fatal shooting of nine-year-old Olivia Pratt Corbel in Liverpool have been released on bail. Police arrested 36-year-old man Hyton from Hyton and a 33-year-old man from Dovecot on suspicion of murder and two counts of attempted murder. Both have been released on bail, and the 36-year-old has been recalled to prison after breaching the terms of his license. Now, the National Crime Agency, uh, they say in their website, pistols, revolvers, and shotguns are the firearms most frequently used illegally in the UK. We We have seen a gradual increase of working, Uh, and are working to prevent the supply into the UK. The majority of shootings in the UK are committed by street gangs involved in many types of criminality, such as armed robberies and drug distribution. Data shows that illegal ammunition is also increasingly available in the UK. Is... Uh, are we following the United States, where although guns are not legally allowed to be possessed, unlike in America, but the increased use of guns and the killing of innocent, and this is not the first innocent killing in Liverpool, uh, we've had several over the past 10 years or so, uh, are, is, is, is gang warfare and the use of gun going to be a real issue for us? And uh, it's only the innocent who die in these, aren't they? Yeah, no, uh, thank God I don't think we're anywhere near the United States or countries where guns are readily available. Uh, you can't go into Tesco's or Morrison's and buy a machine gun mm. like you can in the States. You go to Walmart and you can yeah. buy, you know, a, a heavy weapon. Uh, you, you, I suppose you go to Pakistan, you go into the the, the, the bazaars in the Pakistan areas and you can... You know, by by a Kalashnikov. Kalashnikovs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not. I think it's, it's still it's, it's still difficult. But uh, if you know the right people, uh, just reading today, you can get a gun, a handgun for 150, 150, 150 pounds in Liverpool. Hmm. But it's all gang related, and it's drug related. Drug related, yeah. And uh, it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's an ongoing battle. Uh, at the core of it is just the the breakdown. Of I suppose of social society, isn't it? It uh, is, yes, uh, yes. And uh, the the crime justice system is broken. 
criminals uh, that's, that's people will argue that the, the 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 punishments are not robust enough to uh, deter them mm. and uh, it's 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 uh, something which crime is on the increase and the unfortunately the police they do a good job but they're under they're under resourced aren't they and again uh, if they we so many cases i mean we there's so many tv programs now about police work and how they apprehend uh, and capture criminals but uh, you find very often that the sentences they're given are either suspended or very short term and uh, many of the criminals or the people they capture uh, they they catch who uh, are those who have committed crimes several times before. As, as the two arrested have already shown that they've been on released on bail. Yes. And, and taken straight back again, in. So that's, that's alleged. We, we don't know what they were charged with. I don't say because... No, 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 I know. But but the, the question is that they've already committed crimes. Uh, they're, yes. They're released and now they're, co- they're caught up in another crime. Yes. And it's, and it's a life cycle. Also, I mean, in terms of... You, you mentioned this uh, at the beginning of what you were saying. There seems to be a breakdown of uh, the society of the the way the social structures are now. Many of these kids are brought up by single parents. And can I just make a clarity here? There are many, many, many single parents who do a sterling job, work very hard for their children. But as a society, the the, the children being brought up with single parents without a father or a mother... um, without of the children being brought up with good rules and regulations and boundaries, this sort of thing is going is increasing. And Islam, this is why Islam promotes marriage. It promotes uh, the bringing up of children. Uh, it, it gives emphasis on the on the wife to develop and nurture the children while the man goes out to work. And once the children are grown enough, of course, the women work and they do uh, all everything in society. They teach and they do all positive things. Um, is turning away from God is partly to uh, a reflection of what is happening in our societies? Well, yes, definitely. I think uh, the moral standards and values, uh, even coming down, saying good manners, uh, how to behave. All these factors uh, are molded by parents, and uh, we make a sweeping, a sweeping sort of statement that uh, you know it doesn't matter whether it's a single parent or uh, or not. Uh, you know, children, if they are like you already said, you know, there are some good, good, good par- single parents. But ask the child. Why don't you ask ask a five-year-old, ask a six-year, would they prefer a mum or dad? Or they would just have. Would they prefer to just have dad and not mum, or would they prefer to have mum and not dad? All of them would say, "I want a mum and a dad." Absolutely. You've got you know the different roles. You know, the the mum is more sympathetic. She's uh, motherly. The father, you know, takes to you know the more adventurous, taking to it, and also uh, a, a sense of, uh, sort of discipline is more uh, inculcated by the father but uh, it it all depends on different different societies but in it's the basic building block of a society is a family where you've got two parents looking after the household and looking after the children and putting in their own input uh, as to uh, and guiding the children in their own particular way uh, 
that's it. And if if you start losing that, uh, the the number of uh, children who are born out of wedlock, uh, you know, there are couples who are not married but they're together. So we that that I we we still we ex, we uh, we we don't uh, condemn. No. In the in the sense that they they are they are they're virtually husband and wife and they live together and they they live as husband and wife so that's fine they, although they have not had a religious service so that that's a, a sort of separate issue yeah but children just weren't born out of wedlock and then just left to uh, fend for themselves basically and uh, or or basic and and that's I suppose we come back to the energy crisis again you got a household many households where you mm. got a just a single parent earning. Money, yeah. or has to the, the mother has to go out. For example, uh, uh, a single mother mm. uh, has to go out to work to be able to support her children, and she and she will do that. And then with the crisis uh, coming up, what's yeah? <laughs> and who looks after the welfare of the children? You hand it yes. over to someone, uh, a stranger, uh, yes. and you hand it over, uh, hand over. Po- a, a large chunk of your income to that carer, uh, yes. so the the money is always going to be tight. So yeah, uh, and and Islam puts a very important emphasis on motherhood and particularly the role of women in society. They are basically the 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 mother of your of your societies, aren't they? A very high status. Uh, the Holy Prophet said that paradise lies at the feet of your mother. That emphasizes the importance Islam gives to the role of a mother. Yes, absolutely, and, uh, and that cannot be belittled. That's a very <laughs> a high status which the Holy Prophet uh, of Islam has given to women. Mm. That uh, respect your mothers, and uh, it's uh, so it's it's uh, so imbibed on the, in, uh, in, it's impressed on us from childhood that respect respect your parents. Yeah, but especially very much respect your mother. Indeed, and if you respect her, then and uh, uh, the, the whole philosophy of the saying that uh, paradise lies at the feet of the mother is that if you respect your mother, mm. uh, 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 that's the way to, to paradise. Indeed, uh, Doctor, we could talk lo- lots more on this subject, but uh, we've got we brought you on specially for our next segment of the show, which was faith in focus. Uh, I'm going to start off with the verse of the Holy Quran, chapter five, verse seventy-six. مَلْ مَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمَ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلُ وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقَةٌ كان يأكلان الطعام انظر كيف نبين لهم الآيات ثم انظر أنا يؤفكون uh, The Jews according to their understanding of the biblical history are waiting for a Messiah to bring about the victory and the promised land the Christians accept Jesus as the Messiah, but from their understanding are waiting for his return, having believed he resurrected bodily into heaven and will return ultimately with the victory of Christianity. Islam is divided into two camps. One believe that uh, he, did, he did resurrect into the heavenly body like the Christians do and will also return, whilst a growing number of big, but as a Muslim they say, um, uh, whilst a growing number of beginning uh, to adopt uh, that the resurrection was not bodily and nor will be the return. Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, 
Salam, uh, peace, uh, peace be upon him, claimed that Jesus died a natural death and argued that Jesus had appeared in the just as Jesus had appeared in the 14th century after Moses Salam, the promised Messiah, i.e., the Mahdi, the reformer, must also appear in the 14th century after Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and claimed that he was he, that second Messiah. So there are many similarities, it appears, uh, between the two claimants of the awaited Messiah. So let's let's delve more into that. Um, uh, the two Messiahs, there's a, the, the, the striking similarities, uh, Hazrat Isa, Jesus, and Hazrat Mizar Glamamad, peace be upon them both. So, Dr. Um, are the claims of the promised Messiah to be found in the Bible and the Quran uh, for his advent, for or was his advent foretold by the Holy Prophet, for example? Yes. So, uh, as you said, let's uh, let's just clarify the the return of the Messiah, mm. uh, the concept, uh, and that's uh, uh, in one sense Jesus himself clarified how a second coming uh, would take place because the Jews were waiting or are still waiting the second coming of Elijah mm. and Jesus explained to them that that has already happened in the form of John the Baptist so it made very clear that the same person someone comes in the spirit of a person who came before but not the same person because the law of God is that someone dies he yeah. dies and does not return so that's uh, basically across the board the, it's such a fundamental uh, base of, uh, of of natural law. Yes, that a person who dies does not does not come come back. He, mm. he, he, death is happens only once. So, so therefore, from that it infer is we can infer that the second coming of Jesus would be in by uh, would uh, would not be in his in this in his physical person of the same Jesus who came before, but it's someone else who would come in his spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have to understand. Right. And with regard to that, Jesus yes. himself said mm. uh, that uh, uh, henceforth he shall never see me. For example, in Matthew he says, henceforth he shall never see me till ye say, yeah, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. That what, what Jesus is saying that I'm going to come back again, but you won't see me until you ye say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. means that someone else will come before Yes. Before that person, that mm-hmm. prof, prof, that is a prophet will come after me. Uh, I have many things to say unto you, but you like, you cannot bear them. Bear them now. How be he when the, well, how be it when he the spirit of truth comes, he will teach you all things. He's referring to holy prophet Muhammad of Islam that he is going to come after him, and when you accept him, then then you shall then you will see me again. So that's one uh, uh, the stage. Mm-hmm. Before the second coming of Jesus is that prophet, yeah. a great prophet will come, and bef- and after that he will come again. And, and, and that's prof- in, sorry, yeah, yeah. Go on, no, carry on. No, no. Yeah, I mean, you asked me about the holy yes. prophet Muhammad also yes. prophesying, and the, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's mentioned in the Holy Quran that he that in uh, he it is who has raised among the unlettered people a messenger from among themselves, who recites unto them his signs and purifies them and teaches them the book and wisdom through as though before that they were in manifest error and he will raise him among others of them who have not yet joined them 
He is the mighty, the wise. Mm. Uh, uh, chapter 62 uh, of the Holy Quran, verses 3 and 4. Uh, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet asked who, what this verse relates to, that he will raise him among others of them who have not yet joined them. So uh, the, the first part of the verse obviously refers to the Holy Prophet. The, form of, yeah, the, the, the yeah. form of of the time, and, and the second part is about the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he said, if faith will go up to the Pleiades, uh, Pleiades uh, a man from among these would surely find it where he put his hand on the shoulder of Salman, Hazrat Salman, from per, who is who's Persian, mm-hmm. and he said so. Uh, and the Prophet Hazrat Mizar Ghulam Ahmad was of Persian origin. Yeah, that 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 narration there it seems very similar to what you was referring to earlier about Elijah when Jesus was asked by the Jews that how can you be the Messiah if Elijah has not returned, and Elijah yes. pointed them towards uh, uh, John the Baptist, and he said that he's that Messiah. So meaning, he, yes. yeah. And so therefore, what he was trying to say was that the physical resurrection is not what is intended here, and I yes. presume that's a prophecy about himself. And the Holy Prophet himself is also saying that the second coming uh, of himself will not be himself, but someone from the people of the the Persian from of Persian descent. So already there are similarities there, as you just pointed out. Uh, yes. What about the the founder of the Amdiya Muslim community, Azamiza Ghulam Ahmed? Uh, did did he say anything uh, that how that you know whether he is that second Messiah? Well, that's uh, that's the basis of his claim that uh, uh, he he was the Messiah, and he's also claimed that God gave him the, God gave him this title, and also gave him the title of Isa bin Maryam. I mean, even in Hadith. It's mentioned uh, the the uh, title of Isa bin uh, Ibn Maryam is mentioned, mm. Jesus, son of Mary, right. and that's why a lot of people get confused on that. But we, we that we can uh, we can also go into if later if we have time that why he was called, uh, how he became Ibn Maryam. But uh, Jesus, the original, uh, the first Jesus was physically the son of Mary of Mary. But uh, the, uh, in simple terms, let us say that the Prophet is a Ghulam Muhammad of Qadiyan claimed that he was also Ibn Maryam in the spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, uh, if we have uh, let's if we, if we explain it, he said that, for example, in the chapter in in uh, in Tahrim in the Holy Quran, it is indicated that some individuals from among the Muslims would be called Ibn Maryam, son of Mary. For in this chapter, at fir- the, faithful, the faithful are compared to Mary, and afterwards the breathing of a soul into her, that is the faithful like her, is mentioned. So uh, this indicates that you know, those who are faithful, who observe complete obedience to divine commandments, make themselves like Mary, mm-hmm. and they will be rewarded by God by being made Christ-like. Okay, so... So uh, he received, for example, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian received the revelation that, uh, O Mary, enter thou and thy friends into paradise. O Mary, I breathe into thee the soul of truth. Uh, he has been compared to Mary. So uh, he says, this is where I'm addressed as, uh, uh, he's also been, he also, God, uh, 
uh, addressed him, O oh Jesus, I will cause thee to die a natural death and when, would then raise thee to myself. Uh, Reference to the Holy Quran. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, but yes, but he says that this was addressed to me also. Hmm. Uh, I'm addressed as Jesus Christ, as if raised from the dignity of Mary to the dignity of Christ. So it's a, it's a spiritual uh, 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 evol- evolution. Yeah, You start off being like Mary, hmm. and it applies to all believe all believers can achieve achieve that standard of being like Mary. Yeah. So there's nothing wrong or odd about it. And it's mentioned in the Holy Quran that this is one of the the levels or standards which be, which believe which true Muslims ought to try to attain to train the the uh, the, the, uh, the standards which Mary attained. And then from then on, uh, you will be uh, you will receive blessings and uh, receive and and uh, work towards spiritual your own spiritual elevation. Mm-hmm. So this is what uh, he said regarding his uh, title to be Ibn Maryam. Uh, but on the other, the the basic, uh, the very uh, revelation, the very important revelation which he received regard to the comparison between him and Jesus is that he received the revelation, I created, God said to him, I created you from the same essence as Jesus, and Jesus and you are one essence. Mm. So that's very that's very significant, that to a spiritual eye, they are, just, they are virtually the same. Yeah. You can't distinguish between the two. Uh, and Hazrat Mr. Glam Ahmed, uh, the promised Messiah reformer, um, the Mahdi, he, he, he stated that, uh, which I quoted earlier, that Jesus had appeared, that just as Jesus had appeared in the 14th century after Moses, uh, so must the Messiah of Muhammad also appear in the 14th century. Can you just explain that a little bit? Yes, it's a, what is the, the concept of uh, the types of prophethood? Uh, two main types of prophethood. One is a prophet who brings a new law like Moses and like the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings called God be upon him. Yeah, the, these prophets bring a new code of laws, religious laws into the world, uh, uh, a new book, mm-hmm. uh, a, a new uh, era of guidance of uh, spiritual civilization. Yeah. It's, a, it's a completely new guidance. Uh, it's uh, it's evolution of religion mm-hmm. and uh, according to God's plan. Right, and uh, which so, is what the main duty of a prophet is, yes. Which is the main duty? Well, this is the du- duty of all prophets yeah. to bring people close to God. But the the the, the law giving prophets bring guidance as a code of laws of uh, of uh, the way the, the way to live, the live, way to behave, mm-hmm. uh, much more in much more detail. Right, and so the, we so we know that uh, Moses uh, brought the Ten Commandments and also. He was given a book, and we also know the Holy Prophet Muhammad was given the Holy Quran. And, uh, you know, the Prophet David, although he is not a law-giving prophet, he uh, given Zabu some, but uh, that's not going to, that's a side issue. The, the main books are the Torah and the Holy Quran. Right. Uh, and I and presume, then, I presume uh, that the laws that David brought were part of the Mosaic laws. Yes, anyway. yes, yeah. yes. So I think that's very good. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah. And uh, uh, but uh, once the prophet leaves this world, 
that the law has to be maintained. So uh, with regard to the uh, Jewish uh, Judaism, uh, Judaism, Mm-hmm. The 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 the, uh, the standards were maintained by a sequence of prophets who came and kept uh, teaching and uh, make ensuring that the Jews remained on this on this on the straight path. Yeah. Uh, they were not always successful, but the the at least uh, f- for many centuries we know that uh, prophet after prophet came among the Jews and, and under under the un, under the laws of the Moses Mus- law. yeah yeah okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so, uh, as far as Islam was concerned, the prophecy was that uh, the Holy Prophet said that, that, that God would raise up a, a mujaddid at the head of every century mm-hmm. who would uh, uh, guide and uh, the, the Muslims and can keep them aright, and uh, that they would uh, maintain the standards of, of their faith. Mm. But eventually, by the head of the fourth head of the fourteenth uh, head of the fourteenth century, then the Messiah would come. So uh, this is basically where yeah. uh, the, the two similarities and, so, are. Yeah, and and uh, yeah, and significantly, the timing is a uh, uh, yeah uh, the uh, yeah regarding the law, the reestablishing the law. We have to clarify again that Jesus was not a Christian prophet; he was a, a prophet of the Jews. Mm. And, uh, he was a uh, Jew himself by birth. Himself. <laughs> yeah, right. And he claimed that uh, I have not come to change the law. Think not that I have come to change the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill. Mm. And uh, similarly, Hazrat Ahmad, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan, reiterated time and time again that he had come to reestablish the religion of Islam as embodied in the, the law of the Quran and the teachings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu like Jesus says, think not. Uh, Jesus, for example, said uh, that, uh, 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 that regarding the uh, the Holy Prophet, him, Jesus himself said that how it when he comes, he will teach you all things. Hmm. And Hazrat Mr. Ghulama, but in one of his sayings, has said has said something similar. Is that regarding the Holy Prophet of Islam, he says all that we have is his. Mm. Um, he, he was the light that blazed the, the path to the truth. I long for that light. Mm. To him alone, 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 I belong. And there the matter ends. So they're very, very similar. Very things. similar reflection of, of the same uh, yeah. principles. Yeah. And and in terms of um, uh, the, the guidance under the law, the promised Messiah himself continuously says, doesn't he, that he would not have come, uh, he would not, Allah would not have sent him, or he would not have been chosen had he not been the servant of Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you, you, you have to, if uh, you you are reforming a religion, not from the outside, but from within. From, from within. Yeah, mm. you are a subordinate prophet, and that is the basis mm. of his claim that he was an ummati prophet. He was a subordinate mm. prophet, just like Jesus was a subordinate prophet of uh, of Moses. Uh, of, of, of Moses. Mm. And uh, also, so uh, interesting is that the timing that uh, Jesus appeared fourteen hundred years uh, uh, after the after Moses. And uh, Hazrat Mirza Ghulam Abad appeared 1400 years after the coming of, uh, of the Holy Prophet. Mm. So 
it indicates that uh, the coming of prophets is not haphazard. It's not a it's a it's a uh, it's a spiritual phenomena which works according to a timing schedule regulated by God Himself. Yeah. That it, it's not that just uh, you know God just decides to send a prophet. There's a reason and rhyme to it, and there's also a timing to it. Yeah. Which we 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 can't uh, understand to a degree. We we we, we try to and. Uh, so we are given clues to it. For example, this timing was given to us that the, the promised Messiah or the Mahdi would appear on the, at the head of the 14th century. Indeed. Uh, what about uh, an accusation that's often made that uh, if he claims to be a prophet, that abrogates the Quranic verse of Khatam and Nabiyin, chapter 33, verse 42. Um, are we to understand then uh, that... Uh, Prophets can come, or does the Quranic verse Khatam and Nabi mean something different? Well, well, the all Muslim from the Muslim point of view, they all believe that Jesus is going to return, so a prophet can come. So they already believe uh, that. <laughs> they already believe that. Yes. So, so, so is there understanding that, of yeah. the word Khatam yes, and Nabi? Yes, and I, I think it's a very simple, oversimplistic understanding. Even hmm. the, the Quran mentions that even has it. Uh, Yusuf, the prophet Joseph, in the mention in the Holy Quran, that uh, people used to say that no prophet would come after him. Mm. Yeah, and uh, these uh, come in; these sort of sayings come into vogue because people believe that he was such a great man, or they, that no one can emulate him, mm. uh, which is true with regard to the Holy Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But uh, the uh, the word with that, of course, we opens up a whole new subject about how. Khatam Nadeen is translated, but we know many great scholars of Islam have also had the belief that Khatam Nabiyin doesn't mean he's the last prophet, it means he's the greatest of all prophets, mm. uh, the most majestic of all prophets, uh, the be-all be and end-all of all prophets yes. in the sense of, uh, of, of greatness, of, uh, of, of, spi of spiritual, uh, ele uh, spiritual uh, heights. And no one can reach that that height. That that's all that means. That's not all, but that's basic. That is what it means. That the Holy Prophet, uh, everyone has is uh, that is the standard we have to all try to aim for. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's not that uh, that uh, no one can come after him who cannot be a prophet. And if he has to be a prophet, that prophet has to have the stamp of authority. Of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of him. He is the seal of the prophets. Mm. So anyone who comes after him, and he is a prophet, he can only be a prophet if he has that seal from the Holy Prophet Muhammad. That the yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, you were mentioning uh, that uh, the Quran points out about the second coming. You gave that verse from Surah Juma, verse three to four. Uh, was there something similar prophecy from Moses or from the Bible uh, about the second coming of that Messiah, of the first Messiah? Yes, uh, there's uh, the prophecy, a great prophecy in Deuteronomy about the coming of a prophet after Moses. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's always been read as uh, only applying to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, as Muslims believe that it applies to the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and so many points in it uh, just uh, fit perfectly uh, on the character and the uh, 
the of the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And but uh, if you look at the verse closely, uh, the prophecy in Deuteronomy, the, the first part of it says, "The Lord thy God will raise up, up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto 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 him you shall hearken." And the second part says, "I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren." Okay, mm. so. Uh, what uh, some commentators, and I think uh, the uh, the fourth Khalifa of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azimiza Tahir Ahmed, uh, said that uh, the first part of it relates to the coming of Jesus because he will be uh, from the midst of thee, means that he will be a prophet who will come from among you. So, in fact, the prophecy relates to two prophets. One is Jesus. When the Christians, the Christians say that the whole of it relates to Jesus, hmm. and it does not mention this does not relate to the Holy Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu at all. Peace and blessings of God be upon him at all. But that is a, an argument we we can have with the Christians. The Jews believe that the prophecy has not been full, even been fulfilled yet in any sense. That no prophet has come which has fulfilled that part of the prophecy. We are still waiting for that great prophecy in Deuteronomy. Uh, we say it is uh, it uh, increases the stature and the greatness of Hazrat um, Moses that uh, such uh, an incredible, uh, uh, such a prophecy which is mentioned in Deuteronomy, it also alludes to the fact that part, many parts of the Torah are true, have been retained and actually the word of God because no one could have really predicted such a majestic prophecy. Mm. It's a, It's a really... Incredible prophecy, though, if you read it word for word about the coming. I mean, we can perhaps do a different program about prophecies of the Holy Prophet, about the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of God be upon him, in earlier books. But uh, that's quite an, that's a, it's a fascinating prophecy. Indeed. It uh, proves that the Torah was, was, was true, or parts of it, or what that definitely is, it was originally a true book of God that uh, Moses was a true prophet of God. It enhances his greatness. And, uh, and I think there's something maybe we can bring you on the next next show as well and continue on this because we've got lots, lots, I've got lots of things to query and question and, and get clarifications on. But just for today, the last question from my side would be, what about the personalities of the people? And we know about Jesus, that uh, one of his qualities, as opposed to Moses' was, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus was turn the other cheek. If they take your shirt, give them your coat, and that, that, that type of attitude, very meek and very humble uh, approach to the, uh, compared to what uh, the, the Jewish people were taught initially. Are there any similarities with other Mizar Glam in, the, in this regard about the, uh, the personalities of the two people? In terms of humility and meekness, what were the qualities of Jesus and of the Messiah, the, the promised Messiah? Well, uh, both of them came at a time when the their, uh, the people of their respective religions had uh, delved away from their true faith and uh, become involved in uh, uh, bad practices. As, and they, their aim was to just reform them and bring them back into in, uh, in, into onto the right path again. Mm. Uh, Muslims had uh, suddenly decided that you know the only way to achieve uh, 
their rights or to spread their faith was uh, to use violence or to fight uh, uh, oppression just by violence alone. Well, the and, and Jesus taught that you should turn the other cheek, you should calm down a bit. And the Muslim Ghulam Ahmed also spoke about, clarified the concept of jihad, that jihad only refers, is, is only allowed when someone tries to destroy your religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in, in that sense, both were inclined to bring the people back to the right and uh, go back to the original teachings of their faith, which was, uh, although an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth also applies in Islam, but also you have to look at the other aspect that when you're not on your you your uh, the conditions are not the, the same as uh, if violence is not being perpetrated against you then uh, it's the last line of uh, action line, yeah, yeah last, last line, line of last action. Line action yeah so uh, whereas the uh, first line of action is to be meek to be humble to be uh, forgiving uh, and 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 in the case of the promised Messiah, the he often says that uh, you will be attacked, you'll be ridiculed, uh, but your response will be praise for them. Yes, I mean the, the if you go back to the prophecy, Muhammad sallam, he peace be upon him, predicted that the, his people in the days of the Messiah uh, would be in the same condition as the Jews. Were at the time of the coming of their of their Messiah, right? Uh, they'd be like the left and right shoes mm. of uh, of a person. So very similar uh, in structure. Yeah, uh, indeed. They will suffer from the same diseases. Mm. The, the remedy must be the same. Um, the Messiah, Messiah came to remedy the the disease of the Jews. Yes. And a Messiah would come to remedy the disease or the misguided. Uh, astray views of the of the Muslims. Dr. Freed, I'm ever so sorry to cut you off, but we oh. are at the 11 o'clock news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Unfortunately, the news... Sorry, welcome back to the Voice of Islam, the Weekend World Show with Aston Amadi. Uh, we got quickly cut off with uh, Dr. Freed, but thank you, for Dr. Freed, for joining us uh, and enlightening us. I think we'll have him back on our show next show as well to complete this similarity because it's quite intriguing how those similarities are and, and how you begin to understand why God sends prophets and, and what their tasks are uh, and what their duties are and to understand the different types of prophets uh, that are sent as well, which is uh, highly important to understand if you are to understand the concept of prophethood and what uh, God in, uh, what God sends them to and from where does he send them from. Um, but uh, it was highly enlightening to listen to Dr. Fried explaining some of that. Now we're coming to our next segment of the show, which is Behind the Headlines, and uh, we'll be shortly joined by Azar to give us uh, his take on some of the issues. Uh, but... Uh, the next segment is behind the headlines. Just been called for Donald the decision Trump. taken to join the common market has been the reversed. Should call a general election. Order. Weekend world. Questions to the Prime Minister. Behind the headlines. <laughs> 
Allah says in the Holy Quran, chapter 67, verse 31, Say, tell me, if your water were to disappear in the earth, who then will bring you clear flowing water? Clear flowing water meaning water that's drinkable, that is usable, uh, that is not contaminated. Uh, UNICEF, in a recent report, wrote, Water scarcity is having a profound impact on children and families, starting with their health and nutrition. Water scarcity is also increasingly becoming a driver for conflicts and displacement, said Bertrand Bainwell, UNICEF Deputy Regional Director for the Middle East and North Africa. Within this context, it is even more unacceptable that those fighting in conflicts target water infrastructure. Attacks on water infrastructure must stop, he added. Conflicts and regional economic political instability have increased the demand for emergency water resources, including trucking, further exasperating uh, groundwater depletion. In many countries of the region, children are increasingly having to walk long distances just to fetch water instead of spending that time at school or with their friends playing and learning, said Chris Comenzi, UNICEF WASH Regional Advisory for the Middle East and North Africa. Let's play a little clip uh, to understand this concept. About a third of the global population is already living in water stress and water scarce areas where water is chronically short. Within our lifetime, within 45 years, that is projected to increase to about half the world's population. There is a finite amount of water in the world. The population is increasing all the time. You just put that into a formula, it doesn't take very much to understand that the, um, the amount of water per head is going down. We will see the price of fresh water growing constantly. And I foresee within the next 20, 25 years that the price of a gallon of fresh water will be higher than the price is today for a gallon of gas. There should be no crisis on a planet of water, but we are in a serious water crisis. And the water crisis has been created only in the last two or three decades. There's a comet coming to Earth. It's called the freshwater crisis. And those of us who live in water-rich parts of the world have been able to just not see it. And that's really important that everybody understand. There's no way it's not going to affect everybody eventually. Voices of concern from various authoritative uh, workers and uh, leaders in the water industry and uh, in charity organizations. Uh, joining me this morning, Azar is uh, a regular contributor to the show, a political commentator on the show, and at times with his own unique take on political and uh, other topical subjects. Asalaamu As Alaikum, Azar. Azar, Asalaamu Alaikum. Can you hear me? Yes, I can now. Assalamualaikum. Sorry for that delay. Okay, I was just asking, do, you, do I suspect that you're on your own today? I, I am, I am. Uh, so that's why your contributions are going to be very important. Okay. <laughs> uh, now, we just heard a clip. Uh, we heard from UNICEF that there, there seems to be a real issue with water. Some of the uh, fighting and conflicts are targeting water infrastructures. And then we heard a clip from various experts within the water crisis who manage this and who provide water to the underdeveloped, the charities and other experts. There's real concern and there seems to be warnings of water scarcity is basically what they're saying. 
Is there a water world crisis? Uh, you know, what's yes, the reality? Yes. Give us some yes, background. Yes, very much, very much so. If you listen to UNICEF or WWF or Bloomberg, hmm. they will clearly point out that, you know, as, as we heard, that currently a billion people, that is a billion out of about seven and a half billion, do not have uh, access to water like we do. Uh, so the problem is obviously in the third world, in the developing world. It's not in Europe or uh, North America, uh, except California. Uh, but so that's a lot of people, and this number is growing all the time. And uh, as we heard, uh, a third, okay, the, uh, a billion do not have uh, any access to clean water. And uh, three to four billion currently, which is almost half the population, some say a little less, uh, do not have uh, experience water scarcity at least one month a year. And uh, this number is rising uh so uh, you know by 2025 or 2030 uh, by 2030 a uh, half of the world's population mm. be facing water shortages uh and unless drastic steps are taken uh by the world uh not only by the developing countries but by the developed countries as well and if we do not have international cooperation Mm -hmm. then there will be, um, you know, um, privation, economic privation uh, for uh, a large part of the world. In, and what's, which countries are the worst affected? Um, yes. I mean, even in Europe, we know in U UK, in the USA, in Europe recently we had floods as well. Uh, is is Europe also suffering or is it certain, certain parts of the world mm -hmm. which are suffering more? Not uh, yes, uh, in Europe, the Mediterranean countries are suffering, and they have to, uh, you know, watch their steps uh, because the future might be more precarious. For example, Portugal, Spain, Italy, uh, Greece, uh, you know, because of the hot weather, mm. uh, they are suffering currently. They have to be very careful as to their cul uh, agricultural me methods. Uh, so. Um, uh, all of, uh, uh, you know, you asked me worldwide which countries are worst affected. So all of North of, uh, Africa, especially Egypt, Lib Libya, Sudan, then West Africa, countries like Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, uh, Southwest Sahara. I think we'll have to discuss this at the end when we look at our own charities, what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, then the Middle East, Iran, Lebanon, Yemen. Now, Yemen is a very severe case because it's not only water shortage, it is also uh, uh, famine uh, and uh, hunger uh, for a very large part of the population. And the, if, uh, the causes, as we know, are the uh, war which has been exacerbated by the um, Saudi bombing. Seems to be not water raining on them, but bombs. Yes, so, well, well, there we have it. There's the tragedy, as you put mm -hmm. it succinctly. Uh, in Asia, we have very severe water situations in Pakistan, India, Afghanistan. In Southern Africa, there's Botswana, Angola. Uh, in South America, Chile and Peru. 
and in America, California, California seems also Arizona and Nevada because of the deserts there. But mm-hmm. California is a surprising case, and they will have to watch it. So, but as you can see, Europe largely is, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, water um, uh, restrictions we've had in the past few years or in this summer are compare are you know as nothing mm-hmm. compared to the water shortages uh, which certain parts of the world suffer uh, and you know now in asia it is india and pakistan uh, afghanistan which are water stressed uh, and you know this is very concerning because they have large populations india 1.4 billion pakistan 220 million and uh, the cities there, uh, Karachi, Madras, uh, which is now called Chennai, uh, Calcutta, and Bombay, and in uh, uh, Pakistan, especially Karachi, they are very severely affected. Mm. And uh, so, you know, something has to be done, not only by those countries, but by the international community. Because as you know, the... In, the uh, international order is lopsided because, you know, in the West, which is mainly uh, uh, Europe and North America, they have everything. And in the the Western world can buy their way out of it, uh, whereas these countries, they they, they can't afford it. And uh, we've just seen what's happening in Pakistan with the heavy floods. Mm. What, What in these countries, in the poorer countries in Pakistan, as an example, is it a case of them not being able to harness their natural resources, and uh, do do the West need to help them more uh, yes, to harness absolutely. that? Yeah, absolutely correct. Now we mustn't get the you know because we are on Voice of Islam. I didn't want to give the impression that there isn't enough water in the world. You know, in Pakistan, for example. Mm. Uh, although there's very severe water shortage, as I said, you know, compared to even the rest of the world, mm-hmm. um, but 10 trillion gallons annually are wasted. So there's a lot of water wastage. You know, even in England, mm. Thames Water was saying, you know, they put a hosepipe ban. That's right. Uh, quite a few, quite a few water authorities have in, in yes, various counties. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, why? One of the reasons is 25% of their water is wasted through leaks. Now, leaks in pipes and in the reservoirs. Uh, so you can imagine in a country as, as you know, where um, there's economic uh, privation like Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and all that, there is enormous water wastage. So it seems God Almighty has provided all the resource, but the communities, both local and international, and, you know, oh, I'm keen to stress that this is an international problem. It's no good for people in England or the West saying, oh, we're okay, and the people in Pakistan and India can look after themselves. You know, time and, uh, time and again we've said on this show that the world is a global community. Everyone needs to get together. And if now this is what the economists are saying, if the people of Pakistan or India or Bangladesh, they do better in their economic uh, situation and in their economic prosperity and development, Mm -hmm. this is better for the world trade. Because 
you know, Pakistan will produce better or what it does, which is um, uh, uh, rice and sugarcane and these kind of uh, agricultural products. They will uh, develop them their agriculture more. They will export and they will be able to buy from the West whatever agricultural and other goods they have, uh, like computers, TVs, and uh, uh, you know, combine harvesters and mm. what happens. So the whole uh, economy of the world is suffering because of uh, you know the many factors which contribute to the situation in Pakistan, India, Africa. Uh, all these countries are suffering, and the West had better wake up. And country and you know, ec- uh, organizations like the United Nations. And the IMF had better wake up uh, and, you know, ensure that these countries are helped somehow. Mm. Obviously, these countries do not help themselves because they have, some of them have vast uh, reputations of corruption uh, so that, uh, you know, this doesn't uh, go down well with Western countries, you know, even the IMF. They are reluctant. uh, And uh, so, you know, there's a whole range of issues which are contributing and uh, you know um, so you know people are tearing the hair out as to the econ- economic crisis and water crisis these people are facing but on top of that there's all this wastage and there's no uh, they do not have the wherewithal the economic resource to overcome these problems by building more dams and pipes and reservoirs all these things are required, and you know, for example. But financially, uh, they're going to struggle, aren't they? they? They haven't got the they haven't got the resources or the financial resources to do that. So they need yes, help. They need abs- They need a great amount of help. So this is where countries like China can come in, and and, and they do like, in Pakistan. Well, they have built. They have uh, helped enormously. But they helped, they built something, you know, the Guado port, which is the biggest infrastructure development for Pakistan. Uh, now, this is a port, and it's uh, these, uh, this uh, railway and road links from China to uh, uh, Guado, uh, but it's not a dam or anything like that. So there, there needs to be a different emphasis there as well. And, uh, you know, it's up to the people of Pakistan and... Uh, uh, and the international community to make sure that these countries come up mm. and you know they've got to go they've got to get round their problem of corruption you know this is one of the things with uh, with Pakistan and some of these developing countries it, it very Africa. much yeah it very much seems that in underdeveloped countries corruption plays a key role in in the underfunding of of projects and well, most needed for the people but when you look at Pakistan's crisis at this moment in time which is the flooding of the war, of the of the lands it's coming the floods are taking place if you go to the swat valley and and all those areas there through yeah. the rivers then the the water from the rivers is drinkable water uh, if it's uh, uh, collected properly and then channeled properly yeah uh, so how i mean that one they need to put some sort of investments there because uh, 
it, one, it will stop flooding, and two, it will provide water for drinking, and it will provide water for farming and irrigation. Yes, uh, so yes. what is stopping Pakistan doing that? Because India doesn't seem to have those, sa- those flooding, which is coming from the same sources almost, from the uh, Himalayan mountains uh-huh. and, and the K2 mountain range. Um, so why, why is Pakistan not able to deal with it? Uh, well, the main reason is because that Pakistan is, you know, the, the the rivers downstream is where all the water is coming into. And as you say, if this water is captured, hmm. and, you know, uh, as far as water usage is concerned, um, in Pakistan and in other parts of the world, Africa as well, 70% is used for ag- agriculture, and industrial 20%, and domestic 10%. So as you say, it can be if this water is captured and saved in reservoirs and dams, in artificial lakes, then a lot of use can be made. And, you know, um, this water can be purified and uh, immediately it can be used for agriculture and drinking. And the people of Karachi can benefit. But there is simply not enough resort. Now, the people of Pakistan, the governments of Pakistan have to uh, allocate resource to this, but they haven't. They haven't got the funds, and uh, they are they cannot get access to international loans because the IMF and other countries are not able to give them. You know, they're not able. No, I'm not saying that. Not able are not willing to give them loans, and uh, they are forever. These poor countries like Pakistan are forever defaulting on the IMF loans and, you know, they're all, always having to repay. And now, you see, a country like Pakistan, 53% of its total budget mm. goes towards debt repayment, whether it's from IMF or other countries like America or China or whatever. And 30% of its budget goes to the defense or the army, which is the problem with Pakistan. You know, they have this bloated army, uh, not entirely its fault, it's because of the Kashmir situation. Uh, so, but and, and you see, there's a whole host of problems which have to be addressed. And as you can see, ma- much of this is man-made. So let, don't let anyone say that it's God's fault, God Almighty's fault, that there isn't enough water. There is enough water but the uh, Western world is very uh, selfish. They're not uh, allocating resource to poorer countries. And in the poor countries, there's so much corruption, and there's also wastage and management. And also, you know, not only political corruption at the highest levels, mm. but at the lower levels. You know, in Karachi, you have the water mafia, yeah. uh, where the rich p- take away the water for the... Uh, for their swimming pools and for their domestic needs and don't care two hoots about the much, uh, you know, people living in slums who do not have water. So it's uh, it's not only corruption at the high level and it's, uh, you know, it's greed by the international community and greed by the national community and also greed by the local community as well. Right. And so the people at the lowest end of the economic ladder, they suffer the most. Mm. What about, uh, we, we discussed the causes, etc. What about the works that are taking place, uh, the charities that help out, they do an immense amount of work. Can you give us some background to some of those works? 
Yes, so we have uh, two main charities. One is Humanity First. You say we. Who, who is we? Yeah, sorry, the <laughs> Ahmadiyya Muslim Association yeah. worldwide, yeah. Uh, under guidance of uh, the present caliph. Um, the charities, Humanity First, um, by the way, they are working. I, I did inquire from Chairman Humanity First as to what they, were, they said. We've already working for the last month or so, more mm. than a month, in Sindh and Balochistan, mm. the, which have been affected very badly by uh, the floods and by the water shortage. And uh, also they are working in other parts of Africa, you know, in uh, East Africa, West Africa, also countries like Indonesia and all those countries, wherever we can. Now, I must state, you know, we can't go everywhere in the world. We haven't got that much resource. There are much uh, richer nations. And like charities. <laughs> and richer charities. And charities, mm -hmm. yes. Uh, countries and charities. Uh, but, uh, you know, we work on a shoestring. Uh, and then we have IAAE. Now, uh, you know, I have personal experience of both of these because, well, for Humanity First, I visited uh, West Africa and also... Um, Pakistan and uh, Indonesia Mashallah. and and for IAAE you know um, water I haven't visited any countries but you know I'm involved in their administration what sort of things do they do sorry I beg your pardon what sort of things are they doing well in remote parts of the world they are setting up water wells and uh, which are uh, pump generated and how do you get pumps if you haven't got electricity well you put solar energy so they uh, employ their staff to put in solar energy. So there's a lot of work to be done in Africa in remote parts and what have you. Now, unfortunately, Africa is dependent so far on technical help from the uh, West or from uh, our charities. So this, uh, you know, in countries like Mali, Niger, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, which is the Ivory Coast, by the way, and... Um, so um, uh, now there's also a big initiative for the first technical college mm -hmm. so that the indigenous population can be trained uh, to install and maintain these uh, water wells, solar panels, and all the other things which they are doing. So rather than relying on overseas staff to come in, uh, it's best to... Uh, train indigenous staff. Now this this is a long term. This is a proper long term plan, isn't it? A absolutely. And you know, it it is going to raise the economic profile. It is not just you know children going to or women going to travel two days in the morning and two days in the evening to the water to the rivers to to collect water. Those four hours by the women and the children can be used for other purposes, you know, they can go to farms and cultivate the land, they can get a job, they can go to market to sell their tomatoes and potatoes. Mm. So the economic recovery of these remote villages will take place, God willing, and this is the kind of spirit which the world needs, which is selfless, and which is giving to the needy parts of the world. And... Uh the, and the people who work and volunteer in these charities uh, for IAAAE and Humanity First, they are no paid employees, and even the volunteers 
most of them fund their own travel to these places as well. Yes, indeed. You know, if uh, a volunteer can and he wants to, yeah. although you know they don't put a uh, restriction on uh, it. restriction on it. You yeah. know, if if there's a very, you know, some are students mm. and they don't earn too much, so they have to be funded. That's fair enough. But there are a lot of students, and you know, engineering students. Yes, uh, and uh, and also people who are working and they have uh, good salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I suppose they have good salaries, judging by the cars they drive. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but if they're you know, if they're educated and good jobs, I'm sure they're paid well. But it's the yes, it's in, the in humanitarian England. work that they do and devote themselves yes, to, absolutely. which is the essence of all. Oh, this. Yeah, sorry, I mentioned England. I shouldn't have said that. The, you know, in in Britain, in Germany, yeah. in uh, Norway, other parts of the world, America, you know, people are going. And humanity first, also in Canada and uh, the States, and they're doing enormous work mm. uh, for the upliftment of uh, economic and uh, water and um, technical know-how, sure. education. All this is being provided by a few charities, and this is the spirit which is required by the world today. Indeed. Uh, Azhar, uh, thank you for enlightening us and uh, highlighting not just what the crises are, but what some of the solutions are, and particularly what humanitarian works are being done, and particularly by the Amdiya Muslim community through the agencies Humanity First and the IAAAE organization. So, Jazakallah for joining us and giving us some background information to all of that. Thank you very much, and next time I hope you have Walid Sahib back. Uh, inshallah, he's uh, preoccupied today, so, okay. uh, but uh, he will be back with us next time. Right, we must move on to our next segment of the show, which is our community news segment. Weekend World. Community News. The CNN reports that the award-winning author Salman Rushdie is awake and articulate in his conversations with investigators as he remains hospitalized for severe injuries following the stabbing attack in West New York. Uh, On Friday, a law enforcement official with direct knowledge of the investigation told CNN on Monday. Rusty, 75, underwent emergency surgery after a man allegedly stabbed him several times. Rusty lived uh, in hiding after his novel The Satanic Verses was published in 1988, drawing criticism from some Muslims who considered it sacrilegious. Uh, The late Iranian leader Ayatollah Khomeini, who described the book as an insult to Islam and the faith prophet, Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings well be upon him, issued a religious decree of fatwa calling for the death in 1989. Let's listen to a couple of voices. Uh, first of all, um, uh, Arash Azizi, an Iranian expat, American-educated commentator. Uh, this is what he said. But it is not really uh, irreversible blasphemy if you just read the book. In fact, when it first came out, it didn't even uh, leave much of a mark. It was available in several languages for a long time. And if you read this story, it's not even sort of very particularly or directly uh, related to Islam. There are some allegories. It was after only after a politically motivated campaign started within some uh, sort of Islamist fundamentalists at the time, um, and that really they, they, it became sort of a big issue. There were some protests in, in Pakistan initially, and ultimately the Iranian Supreme Leader Khomeini, uh, who had just finished the war with Iraq and wanted to show that he still was a zealot and he still held up to his fundamentalist ideas, issued the death order or fatwa for Rushdie um, to uh, to sort of just prove himself. How he- 
And this is what uh, the fourth caliph of the Abdi Muslim community, Hazam Zatayr Ahmed, may Allah be pleased with him, uh, this is what he had to say um, when he was asked by some uh, English, uh, British uh, citizens. You imply this principle in your parliaments. And I said, if somebody stands up in the parliament and calls Mrs. Thatcher a war, you know, a wretched, wanton lady, would you tolerate it in the name of freedom? Impossible. The whole house would rise in protest against such a person. Either he swallows that insult himself or he'll be chucked out of the parliament. Now here we are speaking of a political leader of one, of one country. What about the religious leader who is held in, the, in much higher esteem to that to which Mrs. Thatcher could ever be held? Why not people of one country? A billion people all over the world. And you should not, do not show any decency towards that honor, uh, the honor of such a man, such a leader. So if your common language and common behavior, this indecency is carried out, although there is no punishment you can meet out to such a person according to religion. At least you should distance. You should distance yourself from this. Uh, that was an excerpt from excerpt from a small part from a longer answer. Uh, joining me this morning is the author of the book Rushdie Haunted by His Unholy Ghost, who wrote a response to Rushdie's highlighting the hypocrisy behind those supporting this infamous book and what motives were behind the book. Amazon Review says, Rushdie, haunted by his unholy ghost, charts a course that lies between two contrasting attitudes. It rejects some of the extremism, ex, uh, some of the extremism expressed by the East, but also condemns the attitude of the West. It also highlights the true teachings regarding blasphemy in Islam and proves that the edict and the fatwa was an illegal act. Joining me, and a pleasure to have you, Ashad, assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah uh, for joining us. Um, and, and as you know, that Salman Rushdie has been in the news and we just read some uh, reports about him, what, what happened to him. Tragically, he was attacked and uh, uh, he's not uh, been killed, thankfully. Uh, he's alive. But uh, the book was uh, an outcry at the time uh, when the Stanic Verses was published. There was an outcry from the Muslims and the Muslim nations all over the world uh, with the book and uh, and the effigies burning of Salman Rushdie and the U.S. and the U.K. flags, etc. Rather than joining those marches and protests, you decided to write a book in response. Uh, what was your motivation for that? Well, uh, let's get this uh, uh, correct in its context. So yes. You just, uh, you just uh, you heard of some Khalifa Rabi Rahmatullah, the fourth caliph's uh, answer to one of the questions raised. Mm. So he was instrumental in the writing or response to the satanic verses. Indeed. Okay. And he assigned me this task uh, back in 1995. Mm. Um, and, you know, it was, was not a knee-jerk reaction, as was mostly by the other Muslims. Indeed. Uh, that's what always happens when you don't think. I was, I was the response in the cold light of day, as is our want, and as our Khalifa's guide us. And it was his guidance that uh, 
prompted me to write a response. He guided me in everything that I did. In uh, you know, going back mm. to Islam and the West from when it started. Right. And furthermore, I, on my own initiative, I wanted to study Rushdie himself and read all his books prior to the Satanic verses and subsequent to the Satanic verses to give a fuller picture because he wasn't just put up to mischief just like that. Arbitrarily, was, yeah, that's right. There must yeah. be something behind it, yeah. Exactly. It mm. was a, he, he was being built up uh, to a, like a great author from the Muslim Hmm. Uh, fraternity, uh, which would carry more weight if he spoke uh, against uh, Islam, the Prophet, his wives, etc., etc. So he was a willing tool. Uh, so I uh, don't have time to go right into it, no. uh, deep into it, but suffice to say that he was a willing tool and the, and the seeds were there. They had been sown. Mm. Uh, when he first came to England, he experienced racism. He had to go back, but he was sent back by his father. And then he joined the society fully, fully fledged and uh, became part of, of the Western society. And this, uh, when he started writing, I mean, he wasn't a bad writer, no. uh, but he uses always the historical backdrop, like the Midstine Children was of the partition. Yes. Of India, Pakistan. That, that was his first book that got, got great accolades in it. Uh, yeah, as, that as got the Booker okay. Prize. Yeah. And in fact, some some years later, it got the Booker Booker Prize, you know. Mm. They were, they're lifting up even more. <laughs> uh, this is always a mischief. Is uh, yeah. They want to uh, give him some laurels so that uh, he'll get recognized. And this obviously works in their favor because... He gets in many people's favor that he's a great author. He, he can't all be wrong. But my job was to study uh, the anti-Islamic venom mm -hmm. in his book. And the excuse that he used that these are all fictional characters is Baloo, Bahu, mm -hmm. because everybody can see through that. The Holy Prophet, his noble wives are named, the angels, the air, the prophets are mm -hmm. named. So uh, that doesn't carry away any weight, and uh, mischief was afoot, and he ultimately paid the price. Yeah, for having to go into hiding. Yeah, you you were saying that you you had to read his books, uh, not just this particular one, but others as well. Uh, you, you mentioned Midnight Children. Uh, many of the Westerners who accused those who protested and marched and burned effigies and gave fatwas, etc., they often accused that. Uh, Many have not even read the book, and they are making these uh, uh, these you know condemnational uh, opinions, etc. But you read the book. Um, when you read that book, uh, what was your impressions of what uh, uh, the book was about? What was it that was? Uh, you, you mentioned a little bit about the way the Holy Prophet, through this character, has been portrayed. But how was he portrayed? And uh, how did he go about doing that? How did he provoke the Muslim folk? You see, to, to do justice to any subject, and especially when you're trying to accuse somebody of uh, of having been put up to mischief, hmm. you have to read uh, the material, no matter how hurtful it is. And I had to read the book a few times, uh, thereby um, 
letting other people not have having the, able to read it you know denying mm -hmm. them that uh, uh, agony of having re to read this which would hurt their feelings considerably because you know i had to uh, control myself when i was reading the book wow. uh, the, the the language that was used and of the holy prophet you know calling him so many uh, bad names and the wives of all almost as you know ladies of the night you know mm -hmm. these are these are just some of the things you just pick up but you know we know we don't have to read everything to be told when we know when we read science Indeed. we are told of uh, things that are there we don't have to actually read it we take things as granted because they are proven so i read it on behalf of our community yes and uh, read it to my you know i had to as i said live through the pain yes uh, but then with uh, with hadoo's prayers and we started writing a response a balanced one at that i think the the beginning part where you read the uh, uh synopsis of it what the book is about yes it's a, it's a, it takes a medium way uh, middle of the road it, it condemns the fatwa and also condemns the the west where they lord him and make him to be uh, an author of, of, of great repute, mm. whereas mischief was afoot, and that's what they were. Yeah. But also, I would like to add the attack that happened last week or the week before. Yes, it's, it's a sad indictment on the, on, the, on some of our Muslims who take this action. This is we don't want to make him a martyr. Indeed, see, that was the last thing we want. I mean, we would never take action like that. Let we let God take uh, His way of dealing with such such people. And there will always be Rashis. There, there have been in the past, and there will be in the future. There were Rashis at the uh, time of the Holy Prophet who, who, exactly. who behaved very arrogantly in front of him, and yet the Holy Prophet never showed any sort of anger towards them. Yeah, that's the part of the blasphemy that's covered in my book. Uh, because then, you see, we have to show restraint hmm. and leave it in the hands of God ultimately. But we have to fight our cause, but we cannot stay silent. No. And that's why the leader of, at that time took it uh, that we needed to have a response and um, by Allah's grace he chose me and I wrote it and uh, with very me all his meetings with him and making sure that the our strategy was right the circumstantial evidence was we tried to prove was correct and in the end it uh, did get uh, distributed through Amazon and through uh, Waterstones uh, so uh, yeah no I I'll, think I'll... This Freedom of speech is carry on. Yes. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, it, it inflamed people. And uh, Arish Azizi, the one, uh, the clip I played earlier, he said that the book wasn't actually even brought to the fore, really, until the fatwa came about and, and people started behaving the way you did. But uh, so it just shows you that an overreaction, a knee-jerk reaction, can have the opposite effect of what you're trying to do. And in fact, it gave it more popularity than he might have got. And it might not even have been you know, distributed as well as, as, as people, you know, as, as it did eventually. But for the fourth caliph, Hazrat Mizatayr Ahmad, you mentioned to him, uh, referred to him as Hazur, uh, it must have been a privilege for you that he asked you, he chose you to, to do this. But it must also carry a lot of heavy burden uh, to have been asked by the caliph to do so, to, to do justice to what he wants? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, you might call it. Mm. Uh, it was an, indeed a great honor and a pleasure, but obviously 
before I undertook, I had to play a lot of sadhka, a lot of prayers. Uh, and obviously, I had an opportunity to meet Hazur as often as possible. And his guidance was paramount. Mm. That was the beacon of light that I needed. Uh, because, you know, we are normal humans, we don't think along those lines. The, the Khalifa, the Caliph of our Jamaat, who have this vision, who are, you know, we, all our Caliphs have written books themselves. Uh, and they know how to respond. Like our President Hazur, in his world crisis, the turmoil in the world, the financial, otherwise. Uh, so that there is a systematic way of responding. And this is what Hazur guided me to how to respond to this. And this is what I took on board. And I hope I did it justice. Well, the book has had much accolade, and uh, and many have read it, and many refer to it. Even the non-Muslim, uh, sorry, non-Ahmadi clerics refer to you uh, and your book, uh, saying that you know, of all the people who wrote a book against Salman Rushdie, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community was one of them, and uh, basically indirectly referring to you. So uh, it certainly has been recognized. Um, as, and as far as uh, 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 the concept of writing uh, as a way of defending yourself is a concept of what the promised Messiah stated as he states that, that a bloodless intellectual jihad of the pen would, be re- would replace the jihad of the sword. Basically, this is what you've done under the guidance of the Khalifa. Is that not right? That you've done the jihad of the pen uh, of reacting to someone who's attacked Islam and you defended Islam. Yes, exactly. Uh, the jihad that we have now to to take forward uh, in our uh, in our goal of spreading the the uh, the name of Islam, the peace of Islam, and spread it to the whole world. And the only way we can do it through the books of of our revered founder of our community, Hazrat Mirza He has written over eighty books. So the pen has always been, he was called the Sultan Kalam, the king of the pen. Because mm. he, he penned so many books, not just uh, uh, theological, but also poetry, beautiful poetry on the Holy Prophet, the love of the Holy Prophet, the love of Allah, the love of the Holy Quran. These are our, our weapons, you might call them. And this is might be a slow way, but it is the only way that we have. And we have to... Uh, teach and train and our youngsters to when they start debating uh, in their inner circles in the wider circles how to uh, spread our message of peace and love and through rationale and not through knee-jerk reactions but always contemplating of what's transpired and what made it happen mm. and made us think and that's what our Jamaat is about thinkers that we think before we write, and then hope we leave everything in, in the in the hand of God. You you mentioned about uh, being thinkers, and the jihad of the pen is not just responding to something that has been said, but it is also about understanding what has been written as well. And you, as you mentioned, you have to read the books. Uh, you know, unwillingly sometimes because of uh, the difficult subjects that were being talked about, the offence that it caused. Uh, so th- the the pen it has a wider meaning, does it not, in this jihad? That it means obtaining intellectual, and, and in today's world, 
we often see Islam and particularly the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah being attacked in various ways and sometimes very cleverly. And as you said, our the Ahmadi Muslims need to arm themselves with that intellect if they really want to do the jihad of the pen. Yeah, yeah Alhamdulillah, we have many uh, authors within our jamaat. Uh, I know Harris Zafar from America, and there's also the wrong kind of Muslim. Uh, his name escapes me. Um, all these. Qasim uh, Rashid? Qasim Rashid, yeah. So all these are. Actually, he, when I met him a few years ago when he came to Chelsea, he said he did read my book and gave him that uh, firepower uh, to write his own book. Uh, and these are the authors that we have now in our jamias, our students. They are given theses of books to read. So we have a lot of new uh, writers in the offering, and I'm sure they are doing the best to uh, spread the message, the right message of Islam. And it's, it's not a one-man show. It is a full team effort of our, of our worldwide uh, community and our uh, writers in, in different capacities, which we, I think which we direly need at the moment. Uh, Indeed. Um, Ashut, uh, there's a lot more we can discuss, but you've given us uh, the spirit in which you wrote the book, the motivation that came from the Khalif, and that is something uh, which is unique to the Amdiya Muslim community, the support and the guidance we get from the Khalif. So thank you for highlighting those issues. And uh, may your book continue to uh, motivate others to write books Actually, in defense of Islam. Fact, on. Yes. I, I, I'd like to add, yes, please. when uh, the fifth caliph uh, became Khalifa mm. in 2003, actually he invited me, uh, I think in the following year, and to ask me to update my book to uh, to include the 9-11, the 7-7, and the Danish cartoons. Uh, because that, when, that, when I wrote the book, these incidents had not happened. Correct, So the yes. Khalifa and its wisdom, yes. this is how our Khalifa's yeah. uh, vision is. So he asked me to update the book, mm -hmm. and he also said then uh, that we will give this book to all the MPs. So we sent the book to all the 600-odd MPs wow. afterwards. And I also had it translated into Urdu, uh, which was done by Viriksa from Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think there were plans then to translate it in other languages. But this again goes on to show that the Khalifas are the, the guiding light that we have. Indeed. Uh, nobody, I wouldn't have thought to have updated, but he yeah. is the one who <laughs> recommended it to me and also had time to spend with him uh, when I updated my book. They have the, the, the trigger at their hands, don't they? And they're, yeah. and they're on the pulse at all times. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, Asha, thank you very much for joining. Uh, time is running out for us, I'm afraid. Uh, but uh, inshallah we will have you on our show again to discuss more avenues of the jihad of the pen and of the intellect uh, which you have uh, shared with us today thank you very much okay. right that was Ashad Ahmadi um, who wrote the book Salman uh, Rushdie the Haunted by His Unholy Ghosts uh, worth a read those who haven't you can get it on alislam.org uh, you can read it on online uh, or you can purchase it from uh, Amazon as well. Just Google it and you will be able to get hold of that book. Uh, an excellent book, as you said, as I said, that it also includes 
aspects of 9-11, the July bombings in London, as well as uh, the cartoon, Danish cartoons and the controversies that brought up as well. Right, we're coming to the last segment of our show, which is the Sports Review. Weekend World. Sports Review. Assalamu alaikum, Shahid. Enjoyed your holiday. I'm sure you did, as you weren't with us last week, uh, last year. Yes. <laughs> and you're back, yes, back on yes. on on uh, good old Blighty, uh, and yes. kicking off with a very busy uh, Premiership. Uh, some real controversies going on. Uh, yes. Manchester United at the bottom of the table. And having clawed back a victory and a draw with Liverpool, no, no two victories, uh, sorry. Two victories. Uh, yeah, two victories, yeah. yep. Uh, Liverpool with the f- astounding 9 0 victory yesterday against Bournemouth. City sitting pretty in their position, and Arsenal leading the top of the table. Indeed, I think uh, not. Uh, the, I think the table is taking shape once again. Uh, the obviously Arsenal are unbeaten, having played four and won four mm. uh, top of the table, and the only ones with the uh, absolute clean sheets and uh, clean in terms of points. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, Manchester United, I think, were in great difficulty, but two victories together. And I just see that they're one of the few teams. In fact, the only other two teams of Manchester City and Arsenal have put together two victories in the whole so far in the four games that four games that have been played. It's unusual. And Liverpool got their first victory, as you mentioned, but an emphatic victory at that. Yes. Uh, and I think, uh, the, as I said, that the top of the table is taking shape once again. And Brighton, the unusual team, the third in the table, uh, unbeaten, and three victories in a, in a draw. So, uh, as I say, it's taking shape. And some unusual teams at the bottom, West Ham and Leicester, were not uh, not having the best of times at the moment. Yeah, I've never been to Brighton. They're only half an hour away from me. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, they're a local team. <laughs> yeah. Team. Yes, the, the three wins and a draw. And if uh, Tottenham win today, that they'll be with three wins and two, uh, three wins and a draw, like City. That's yes, indeed, that's right. I think, although at this stage, I think we can't take very much from the table itself. Having no. some of the teams not played at all in the higher teams, but uh, yes, uh, you're right. Mm. Uh, star performances yesterday, I presume, must go to Liverpool with the nine in highest uh, highest victory in the Premiership, I believe. They equal that record absolutely, but let's not forget. I mean, uh, both were having a be- not the best of times. They lost four nil to Manchester City not long ago, so uh, they're shipping goals left, right, and centre. But I think they've got Liverpool on the wrong end of the day. I think Liverpool is wanting to put a marker, having got those earlier points, mm. uh, dropped those points. So. Uh, an effect, emphatic victory at that, absolutely. Arsenal, I mean, this is the first time for a few years now that they've had a good start. Normally, they start quite badly. Things could be well, good for Arsenal. Well, that's right. I mean, the fact that they're out of the Champions League is something I think they really want to be in that in the Europa League. But uh, I think people have stuck with that. And I think that, I think it's showing that they have a process, which I think Arsenal have always had this, and mm. they don't just like they manage it for the sake of it. And even when they were not having the best of times, uh, last year they had a very bad start as well, and that just carried on. But this year, uh, although they've not played the top teams as yet, so but nevertheless, I think their team is shaping well. Indeed. Uh, we'll be talking football throughout the season. Uh, Premiership <laughs> will shape up and we'll be, we'll be discussing more. Uh, cricket's only got a few more weeks left uh, as far as the British season is concerned. Uh, England have levelled the series with a resounding victory after having been thrashed in the first test. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that first test at Lords, I think the fact that the way the victory was, uh, the, uh, South African wrestled that victory was uh, 
emphatic and there was a lot of call for changes in the personnel in the team and so forth and people not doing well uh, but the uh, coach has uh, McCallum has actually stuck with the same players and surprisingly and a three day victory you know, and, and quite uh, outrageous in the sense that it just was over in three days and south africa just subsided just getting 151 and 79 in two innings but uh, so Indeed, yeah, Anderson and so forth. But Ben Stokes again, once bottom like uh, uh, all-round performance once again. I Indeed. think he's showing his uh, caliber once again. First uh, innings, both Broad and Anderson in there, coming up. Are they forties now, both of them? Uh, both doing excellently in taking. Uh, the dinosaurs of cricket, aren't they? They just <laughs> keep on going. And Anderson on his home pitch was obviously yeah. a, a difficult proposition. I mean, the test, the toss helped him as well. The fact that they were putting put mm. in, and that was, I think. Mm. writing was on the wall after that. Yeah. What about uh, the the series on the Asia Cup? Uh Afghanistan started off brilliantly uh <laughs> well, with a great victory against Sri Lanka. Um, what about uh, the other teams as well? Pakistan India match today. Well, there's six teams in all. The two the split up in two groups. India and Pakistan are playing today, so that will be a marker and they have Hong Kong in their group as well. and the top two teams qualify for the next stage and india the group like you mentioned afghanistan yeah. uh just blew away uh, sri lanka yesterday and uh, they have bangladesh in their group uh india i think the, the downright favorites but uh, the one thing about the fact that india and pakistan are playing today they might be they might be playing in uh, three in this tournament itself if yeah. they go through to the last group four and then on to the final if that's the case right unusual is that as uh, that may be They have omissions from the team, both of them, mm. uh, injured players and so forth. But uh, India normally uh, have been overcome. The last time they played, it was a 10-wicket victory for Pakistan. <laughs> so, and they're not India don't have the best of results against Pakistan. The UAE unusually. Yeah. Uh, so, but India and Pakistan and, and Bangladesh are the only three. Uh, Sri Lanka, sorry, are the only three teams in the Asian Cup who won this actual tournament. Right. So it's okay. interesting to see how the others fare, especially Afghanistan. Yeah. What about uh, the the cordiality between the players, Pakistan Indian players in particular? Very good. Uh, uh, what do you call it? PR, isn't it? Uh, and 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 it's, it's sort of spreading into the crowds as well. I wonder if it will. Uh, channel itself into the political world. <laughs> ah, indeed, absolutely. I mean, the fact that they don't play each other in bilateral series, bilateral no. series they yeah. haven't done for a long long time. Uh so I one hopes that that will be the case and cricket will be well uh, be better served if they ha- if they do. I mean, the rivalry that goes beyond the Ashes England Australian series. Mm. So I think one hopes that the camaraderie that is between the players will just uh, be filtered down to the actual political scene as well yeah i mean uh, shahid we, we used to tour different countries playing for the muslim tigers ahmedia and the impact that our sports brought about and the impact of about islam that we were able to convey to others was a, a great way of uh, sport being very positive wasn't it and and politically this uh, this can do the same here i hope Indeed, absolutely. I mean, this is something that is a lot to be applauded for. I mean, this has happened in other uh, countries as well. The fact that apartheid was also sporting-led and so forth, mm. and it broke up because of that in the end. And I hope that this uh, does do the same in in terms of other sports as well and countries were being put together in a peaceful way. Indeed, uh, amen to that. Uh, Shahid, uh, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your views. And let's see how the 
Asia Cup goes. How, uh, what's your prediction for today's game? It, it is a 2020 game. <laughs> I think in India, they're the favourites on paper, but uh, this is a T20 game, and so it could go either way. I don't want to be on the uh, on the fence, but I think India will win today. Yeah, as I said, it is a 2020 game. You can go anyway. Uh, thank you very much. Jazakallah. Assalamualaikum. Thank you. Right. Thank you to my guest today, Dr. Freed, Ashad, and the other, and of course, Shahid Khan and my technical team, Zishan, uh, for supporting me. And to our listeners for listening in to The Voice of Islam, the weekend world show with Asan MD, and I hope you join us again. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings to, to all our listeners.